Hello everyone, uh, it's Corey Russell here and uh, it's such an honor to be a part of the Pursuit New York Conference and to be a part of the Pursuit uh, Conference that you guys have going on. These are uh, unique days, but I'm so grateful that, we're, that you guys are putting this on, this day event, and I'm honored to be a part of it today. My name, for you guys who don't know who I am, my name is Corey Russell and, um, and I'm originally from Northwest Arkansas. I had a radical salvation in 1997 uh, in my college parking lot, radically delivered of drugs and, and just rebellion and the power of God hit my life and uh, got married to my beautiful wife, uh, Dana, in 1998, had my first daughter in 1999. And then in 2000, me and my family moved up to Kansas City to join the International House of Prayer um, and where for 20 plus years, gone 24 seven in prayer and we spent 18 years uh, in Kansas City on the leadership team there and, and serving, preaching at conferences, teaching in the Bible school and traveling across the earth, equipping the church in prayer. And then a couple of years ago, the Lord moved me and my family, I now have three daughters, moved me and my family to Dallas, Texas to join the Upper Room Church. And so we have been serving there for the last couple of years and it's been beautiful and watching all that God is doing. And uh, he's bringing together the prayer movement and he's bringing together the local church in a profound way in these days. And uh, it's, it's an honor to be a part of it. And so uh, I, I wanted to talk to you guys today. I just wanted to take some time um, and talk to you about building a life of prayer. You know, I don't think it take a rocket scientist to, uh, or you know, even a prophet to even discern that the greatest need for the church in this hour is that we need to cultivate greater intimacy with God and it's the source, it's the lifeblood, it is the place from which everything flows out of. Sadly, we all know it, but sadly, most of us don't even know how to even start the journey. And, and, and I wanted to take this session just to give you guys some handles on how I have discovered in developing a life with God. For the last 20 plus years, I have given 30 plus hours a week in the place of prayer. It's been my calling, my passion, is to spend long hours in the place of prayer and it's my passion to give it to the next generation and so I, I want you to look with me in your Bibles I want to look at Luke 11 verse 1 Luke 11 verse 1 and you know what even before we get into Luke 11 let's go ahead and skip back to Luke 10 38 it all flows in one passage in one uh, flow so we'll, we'll start Luke 10 38 and then we'll move to Luke 11 1 and so uh, in Luke 10, it's a familiar passage, but it's when Jesus comes to Bethany and it says that he came in with his disciples and we see that there was a woman by the name of Martha who welcomed Jesus into her house, him and his disciples, and they come in hungry and Martha is up. It says that she's distracted with much serving, but it says this verse about Mary, her, her younger sister. It says, but Mary sat at his feet and heard his word. It says Martha was distracted with much serving, and so she looked at Jesus and she said, Jesus, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to get up and to help me, all right? And Jesus looked at her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, and it won't be taken away from her. And this right here is, I believe, a very profound story, and one that I believe is very prophetic for the church in this hour. Several of the words that come out of this passage is words like uh, uh, distracted, much serving, 
anxious, and busy. And we see troubled, busy, all these words that characterize, in my opinion, the majority of believers in America in these days. We are people who are filled with distractions. We are people who are filled with busyness. We are troubled over many things. There's much anxiety, fear, busyness, distraction. And this is the crazy thing. It's happening all around Jesus. It's happening all around Jesus. And yet Mary did something revolutionary. And I believe that this is the prophetic call for this generation. Mary did something revolutionary. She says, I refuse to miss the moment that the Son of God is in my house. The Son of God is in my house. I will not miss this moment. And she chose and she understood the value of the moment. And so she dove to his feet. She took the heart of a listener and she began to hear the words that were coming off his mouth. Mary actually never said a word in this whole passage. She just made a choice to sit, listen with a heart open. And I cannot overemphasize the need in the midst of this distracted, busy, anxious generation, the need and the call to swim upstream against this and to find ourselves at Jesus's feet with a Bible open, our hearts open and letting him talk to us in the Bible. I promise you that you will find all kinds of voices within and without that will begin to tell you, get busy, do something with your life, uh, uh, produce something, prove how successful and impactful and great you are, but yet the wise ones will choose the place at his feet and they will allow Jesus to fight their battles for him. They will allow Jesus to fight their battles for them. And, and, and because this is amazing, Mary, uh, Jesus looked at Martha and he says, this is what happens. It really comes down to this. A lot of people will try to make it Mary versus Martha. It's not about Mary versus Martha. It's about Mary before Martha. See, if you don't make your primary reward, his voice and his words washing over you, and you make your primary reward what you do for him, here's the issue. You will always feel like you're working more than Jesus is rewarding. Do you know that Martha began to question Jesus's empathy and fairness? And this is what happens when what you do for Jesus becomes your identity instead of who you are to Jesus. Martha was so troubled and she was so busy trying to please Jesus that she got angry when he wasn't showing fairness and empathy to help her out in her situation. I have seen so many believers that will make what they do for Jesus their primary reward and they will get angry and offended at Jesus because they never feel like he rewards them based on how hard they work. He looked at Martha and he goes, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. He says, but one thing is needed and Mary has chosen the good part. I wanna tell you, friend, there is one thing in the kingdom. Now, it's not the only thing, but the Lord told me years ago, Corey, that if you get this one thing right in your life, there will be 10 other areas of your life that will come into divine alignment. But if you get this one thing wrong, it will set a trajectory for a completely different uh, outworking in every area of your life. I want you to know there is a one thing. Jesus called it in Revelation 2, first works. We know that he called us to the first commandment, that there are first works and a first commandment and a one thing. And he says, Mary has chosen that good part and it won't be taken away from her. Every one of us have a choice every morning when you wake up. You have a choice. What are you going to do with these 24 hours? What are you going to do with these 168 hours every week? Are you going to 
pursue it and invest it into making more, being bigger, being higher and being greater and caught in the rat race of productivity and success as the world defines it? Or will you begin to define success as Jesus defines it? And it's called the size of your heart over the size of your influence. Mary has chosen the good part. There is a good part. Mary chose it and Jesus says this will not be taken away from her which means what she just did, she invested her greatest commodity, time, and she invested it into eternity and it will live forever. That is what laying up treasure where rust and moth do not destroy looks like. Investing time, investing money, investing resources into a place that rust and moth cannot destroy. Jesus gives us this story and in the very next verse, Luke 11, verse one, I want you to see this. It says that when Jesus was praying in a certain place, not only did Jesus commend Mary for doing the one thing, Jesus did the one thing. And it says that when he was praying, that when he ceased, one of his disciples came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Okay, there's several things that I want you to see in this verse. Number one, what would it have been like to watch Jesus pray? <laughs> I mean, to watch the Son of God talking to, I mean, you see God the Son talking to God the Father through God the Spirit, and that for three and a half years, those disciples got to watch the intimacy, the vulnerability, the joy, the ease by which Jesus connected with the Father, spoke to the Father, communed with the Father, rejoiced in the Father, poured out his soul to the Father. They watched him pray. And I wanna tell you, I believe that Jesus's greatest impact on his disciples after he died, after his death, of course, was his prayer life. I believe that set the greatest barometer, it set the greatest North Star, and they govern their lives by watching his prayer life. I This has begun, as I have meditated on Luke 11, one and two, it has begun to expose me because Jesus is the greatest leader ever. He's the greatest leader ever. And what blows my mind is that of all the things he, that, that he produced in his disciples, I mean, who would have loved to have watched Jesus preach? Okay, to hear the words, the messages that would come out of his mouth. How about the healings, the miraculous, the signs, the wonders, the demons coming out of people, the lame walking, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the dead raised. Those disciples were in a three and a half year, every day and night revival. Now this is the thing. And we don't see one recorded time where they asked Jesus, teach us to preach or teach us to heal, or teach us to deliver, or teach us to prophesy. After spending three and a half years with the Son of God, they go, teach us to pray. Jesus, we want your prayer life. John gave it to his disciples, we want yours. See, that's the litmus test of true leadership, is this question, does anybody want your prayer life? And have you lived a prayer life in front of others that actually provokes it? That's the question of the hour. We need a whole new breed of leadership. We've defined leadership by how much you can build a church, by how gifted you are in preaching, by how good your networking skills are, your church building strategies, everything else, but the one thing that Jesus produced in his disciples, teach us to pray. But that right there, the very fact that we're not hearing about it is an indictment on the current leadership. You can only provoke that which you do and you can only give to others where you're living. You can't give to others what you're not doing and where you're not living. And I believe that God is awakening a cry within the church in this hour. Jesus, take us to the school of prayer. 
Teach us to pray. Raise up mothers and fathers of prayer that have forged decades in the presence of God, who have forged decades in prayer, in fasting, and in intimacy with you, and that when they open their mouth, heaven moves. See, the disciples connected the dots that Jesus' public life of ministry was the result of his private life of prayer. Jesus' public life of ministry was the result of his private life of prayer. And so I imagine when they asked this teachers to pray, they were thinking that Jesus would go right into a list and he's going to give us the Lord's Prayer. But this is what I want you to see about the Lord's Prayer. It's one that you've probably known your whole life. This is the first thing I want you to see. Jesus says, when you pray, that's the number one secret about developing a prayer life that Jesus is going to teach us about prayer, is that there is a when. Here is what I want to just say to you practically right now. You need to find a time and a place every day and that you need to make that appointment sacred with you and God. And you don't need to let any amount of money, opportunity, or mistreatment, or betrayal, or hardship talk you out of that appointment with God. I would encourage you to look for an hour a day, one hour a day, to find that time with God from which you live the rest of your day out of. I think the when is important. And said so Jesus says, when you pray, which means this, you learn about prayer and you grow in prayer by just doing more than just reading books on it and doing other things on it. You grow in prayer by doing it. For me, it's 6 a.m. I love waking up early in the morning before all the distractions come my way. And I love to tie the first two hours of my day to me and the Lord. Before there's any emails, texts, anything to do, I want to look at him, I want to commune with him, and I want to be with him. I'm going to break down later how I break down an hour and what I do, but that is the number one thing. Some of you, you're like, it's morning. And I, I believe there's a lot of biblical precedent for the morning time. Some of you are like, you know what? I do better at night. That's okay. Find your power time and don't miss it for anything. But don't let it, don't miss it for anything. And so Jesus, he says, when you pray, say, this is the thing that blows me away. I imagine, and I like to joke around like this. I imagine that when they asked Jesus teaches to pray, they were thinking about a list. And Jesus, it's almost like this. Jesus says, okay, I've got to confront all your issues of prayer. And I'm going to do it. This is what I want to do. I want you to write down everything you need me to fix in your life. You know, save Uncle John. You know, heal Aunt Sue. Deliver my cousin. I need money. <laughs> I need money. I need money. And we ask and we ask and we ask. And Jesus says, okay, did you get your list? And we go, yes. And so we hand the list to Jesus. Jesus looks at us. And then he rips it up. He rips it up. And he goes, you know what? When you think lit, when you think prayer, you think list. When I think prayer, I think person. And I want to introduce you to him. And Jesus is going to establish. This is the ultimate apostolic prayer. Jesus is going to establish our prayer lives in three realities. He says, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Note that before there's ever a request, there's a person, there's a place, and there's a name. Friend, I want to introduce you because the very foundational revelation to growing in a life of prayer is getting right views of God as your Father. Seeing God as the Holy Father, the Righteous Father, the Eternal Father, the All-Powerful Father, the Compassionate Father, the Merciful Father, 
the father Jesus knew, and Jesus came to share his father with the whole earth. And we need to get right views of God because I want to tell you, your prayer life either rises or falls based on how you secretly believe that God is to be. Your secret thoughts about God will either govern the greatness and the intimacy and authority by which you pray, or it will be the lack thereof. But Jesus says another thing right here. That's the normal issue is who are you talking to? I remember when the Lord asked me that years ago, who do you think you're talking to? Most of us view God like a middle-class working dad with 7 billion children. Friend, I want you to know that he is the everlasting God, the one who has uncreated life and love and power. He is an eternal treasure house of glory. And he dwells in unapproachable light. He is without beginning. He's without bounds, without limits. He is without any limitations in his being. And he is the most compassionate and kind person you will ever meet. But then Jesus added the second issue and he says, in heaven, when you pray, you need to understand that you are connecting to a real place and it's called in heaven. Heaven isn't just the place that we go to after we die. It's a fixed place that we are to set our mind's eye. Colossians 3 tells us to set our minds on things above, to let the throne life fill you. Revelation chapter 4 describes the throne room of God. It describes God sitting on his throne. It describes what God looks like, the redeemed around his throne, the lightnings and the storm coming out of God, the sea of glass before God, the seven lamps of fire. We see burning creatures surrounding the throne singing, holy, holy, holy. When you pray, you need Revelation 4 to get deeply uh, saturated your mind's eye. And so that when you close your eyes, you're standing on the sea of glass and you're speaking to your father on the throne. And then Jesus says, he gives us the last phrase, which is hallowed be your name, which is the very word that the angels surround Jesus when they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty to him who was and is to come. That's what those creatures say around the throne. So Jesus is saying, get connected to the throne room. And from there, all prayer will effortlessly flow. Jesus wants to teach this generation how to ascend, how to ascend, how to ascend above life circumstances, how to ascend against global pandemics, how to get above racial tension and injustice, how to get above the storm and connect in that place where the father sits supreme over every power, principality, ruler, and dominion. Jesus is raised, and Ephesians 2.6 says, he has raised you up and me together with him and seated us together with him in the heavenly places. That is your foundation of prayer. Who do you think you're talking to? Where does he live? Where are you seated? And what's the word that surrounds his throne? It is an hour to get heavenly minded, to get heavenly focused, to put our affections, to put our hope, to put our allegiance and to learn how to ascend and to get above the storms. And because from that place is where we receive the authority to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, you can't bring to earth what you're not encountering in heaven. The power of releasing things is based on your present day encounter. I want you to get a vision for the spirit of revelation. I want you to get a vision to ascend oh, above all the storms and that you would see God, that you would get off of Facebook chat rooms, 
that you would get out of the social media debates, that you would get off the politicized media, and that you could lock eyes with the throne room of God. And that is the place, the foundation. Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. It addresses needs that we have. It addresses situations. It addresses relationships. And you can read all those things in the Lord's Prayer. But then Jesus gives us a second part in his teaching on prayer. And he gives us a parable. And I'm just going to break the parable down to you for the sake of time. Jesus says, just picture yourself asleep one night and a friend of yours comes knocking at your door at midnight. You're startled, you're awakened, you come to the door and a friend of yours is looking for bread. Bread always represents the life of God, the life of Christ, Holy Spirit, and a painful revelation hits you. You don't have any bread, but you know someone who told you that you can come whenever and that he would give you as much bread as you need. So you go to that friend, which is the Lord in, in the parable, you knock at that door and the Lord says, leave me alone. My children are with me in bed. Leave me alone. It's not a good hour. Jesus says, I tell you, though that friend won't rise and give to him because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, that's a key word, he will rise and give to him as many as he needs. So Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Jesus says, you have a good father, and this is Jesus' main point. Not only do you, because I have boiled down prayer into two realities. Learning how to walk through the open door. That's the first part of prayer. Do you know how to walk through the open door that Jesus has paid for you? You will not grow in prayer until you learn how to walk through the free gift, the free door. But prayer isn't only about walking through the open door. It's about learning to persist in prayer until closed doors get opened. The first one is walking through the open door. The second one is knocking on closed doors so they open. Those doors that you know is the will of God, salvation for a loved one, healing for a loved one, deliverance for a loved one, a breakthrough in finances, a breakthrough in relationships, that's the will of God that you knock at the door of. This is Jesus' primary teaching on prayer. Understand who you're talking to, connect to where he lives, walk through the open door, and the other one is, don't quit. That's the primary issue. Know who you're talking. Find a time and a place. Know who you're talking to. Know who you are. And don't quit. That's Jesus' primary teaching on prayer. Now let's get practical these last several minutes that we're together. What does an hour look like for me? I'm going to give you what an hour looks like for me. You will find your way. I want all of you to know it always starts boring. It always starts with learning how and to break through the awkwardness of dealing with a book we barely know, a God we barely know, and us not knowing what to do with ourselves because we're never alone for more than five seconds. So it's mostly breaking through the awkwardness of being alone with God. This is how I break down an hour is I take the first, I break it down into 20, 20, 20. My first 20 minutes is I don't come through talking or doing anything else with an open Bible, an open heart, I come through the door of soaking, med meditating, which is whispering phrases of the word back to God, and just being in the presence of God. The first 20 minutes is just being. That's my first 20 minutes. Learn how to soak in his presence. Are you a good receiver? Jesus says that unless he washes your feet, you have no part of him. Do you know how to receive from Jesus? 
Do you know how to soak in his presence? Do you know how to meditate in his word and just be with him with deep breaths and sighs and you don't have an agenda other than just to be? That's my first 20 minutes. We can take a long time talking about that. My next 20 minutes is what I call waking up. And that's where I will begin to many times I will either pace, I will rock, but I will begin to engage praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues and beginning to engage my prayer language. I, I don't have time. I've written books on this, but I want to tell you praying in tongues for extended amounts of time is one of the greatest revolutionary ways to activate your prayer life. If you have your prayer life, I want you to begin to aim for 20 minutes a day. If you don't, I believe that the Holy Spirit will fill you. It says if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will Heavenly Father give Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now we have Holy Spirit at the new birth, but there is an anointing that comes upon you. And I believe that the, that the devotional praying in tongues is for every believer. And then the last 20 minutes, I will then move into what I call request. That's where I move into request. And I pray for my wife, my children, friends that are in need. I pray for people, I pray for churches, and I pray through biblical prayers that the Apostle Paul would pray or prophetic decrees. I pray the prayers of the Bible and I pray them and I make requests to God for those things. And that's right there how I spend an hour with the Lord. You find your way, but let it move from being to waking up, to waking your spirit up, to asking God for things and watch it move in your life. I wanna pray for you right now, all right? And I just wanna ask that God would activate and that God would release an impartation of the spirit of prayer in your life. I have a, a right behind me right here. I have Psalm 2, verse 7 and 8. Ask of me and I'll give nations as your inheritance. God's going to put nations on your heart. God's going to put a map and you're going to be laid out over a map of the world. God will give you nations. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to release the spirit of prayer. I ask you for the anointing of prayer. Holy Spirit, you help us in our weaknesses. We don't know how to pray as we ought but you help us. And we come to Jesus right now. We say, Jesus, teach us to pray. Take us by the hand, escort us to the throne room, awaken us to our identity in heavenly places and release the fire of heaven, release the fire of the Holy Spirit upon us. Awaken the spirit of prayer. God, help us navigate through boredom and awkwardness and mundaneness, good days, dry days, and awesome days. God, I thank you that though we may not feel tons, it moves you, God. You told Cornelius that his prayers came up as a memorial to God. Father, I pray, release the spirit of prayer. Your ears are open. Your eyes are open. Your heart is open and your hands are open. So, Father, I pray upon the whole Pursuit New York crew, this whole conference and all those that are viewing, release the anointing of prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Well, bless you guys. And I pray that uh, the Lord use this to strengthen you in your prayer life. Amen. See ya.